0: So, yeah, so we are continuing this evening with um, our series on Meals with Jesus. This evening is our last one. Oh, that's what you're supposed to say. (laughs) Um, So this evening is our last one. Next week we have a guest speaker. Um, There's something to look forward to. Um... But last week, we, we looked at meals as enacted mission. I hope you can remember some of that. Um, we looked at two very well-known stories in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And as we looked at those two stories, it was, it was helpful to, to see um, as we consider the mission that lies before us as those who Jesus has called out how Jesus used the meals of fish and loaves to demonstrate how he is able to provide not only for the immediate, but he is also able to provide enough for eternity. Um, I am in awe at how Jesus, um, the, the, the things that flow from Jesus are things that never run out. Um, there is an endless supply And in the story we saw what happens when we bring the little that we have to Jesus and we offer it to him and Jesus is able to multiply that. Um, And we often think that what we have to bring is not enough. Um, What we saw there in that story, that even the little bit that this boy was able to bring, the loaves and the fish, was enough for Jesus to be able to do an amazing work and feed 5,000 and 4,000 respectively. And last week we also had some lekker bread, that was cool. Um, th- this evening we, we again are going to talk about some meals that they had in biblical times, um, and yeah, we'll talk about that closer to the end. So this evening we're going to reflect on, on meals as enacted hope, um, and the idea of how the promise of a meal in the future brings us hope now, despite the challenges that we face in the time that we live in now. Have you ever wondered or thought about how food is able to motivate you (laughs) and and kind of gives you something to look forward to? Isn't it amazing how how food has the ability to do something um, like that for us? And for some of us that... um, that sense is deeper than it is in others, but this is am- and something amazing that food is able to do. Um, I think food is more than simply fuel for our survival. Um, meals with um, appealing food is also the, the, the glue that holds people together. Um, if you think about the meal that you have with your family at home um, and how there's something that happens when you come together around a meal, and then for us, it's also something that adds color to mankind's array of different cultures. This morning across the way at Explore, we, we shared a meal together at the end, and, and um, Kumiwa was there with us, and she shared some of, some of um, what the meals are like in Ghana, um, and even the rivalry that exists between, dif- the, between the different ways that meals are, are prepared. But you know, I wonder, however, if today's diet-obsessed culture um, is causing this connection that we have with food to kind of fade. You know, people are are really concerned nowadays about about what their diets are like. Uh, And so maybe along with that comes something that takes away from... um, Maybe how we practice dominion as stewards over over creation. So today the scriptures we are going to look at points us to feasts, to to banquets, you know, events of celebration that have at its heart um, the enjoyment of feasting together um, with others. And in the stories, um, we're going to look to see where the hope is. We're going to try to find... The hope and perhaps even hopelessness. Now in, ba- in, in, in biblical times, banquets were apparently common social events um, and Jesus, as we know, of, often used them as a way to convey important um, themes to us and important messages to his people. And so as we look at these two, these two stories that revolve around banquets, um, we'll draw comparison between some of the themes that come out at us between them. So we're going to read from Mark chapter six um, and verses
1: twelve to twenty. Is there someone who would like to read for us? So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed oil with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, He is Elijah. And others said, He is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked him, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid him in a tomb. Thank you, Mike. That's quite a story, eh?
0: Um, it's, it's, it's quite something to picture in your mind, um, what that could have looked like in that time. Um, is there anything that stands out to you about that story? Perhaps there's something that strikes you, or perhaps there's something that makes you think a bit deeper about, um, about what could have happened there. Yeah, Mike says it's pretty gruesome to ask for someone's head and literally get it on a platter. It shows how seriously they take oaths. Wow, that's a good point. Yeah, so Mike reminds us there about the the importance of of not making oaths um, that you can't stand by in the end. Is there anything else that strikes you, Ricky? I think the fragility of life. Fragility of life. <laughs> wow, that's deep. <laughs> yeah. How easily John the Baptist, after everything that he had done, his life came to an end in that way, um, in that moment. Clear. Yeah, that's, that's quite an observation. Rodius, this woman could have asked for so much more, but she was so consumed with this hate. Did you call it, clear? This hate that she had for John the Baptist, that she asked for his head. That's, that's, that's deep. <laughs> yeah, so Matt, Matt points out... <laughs> how obedient um, the girl was um, in just doing what her mom asked, um, which was quite a thing. We'll unpack a little bit more what that scene could have looked like, but that's, that's quite a thought. Uh, any other thoughts before we keep going? Yeah, Cindy says it so, it's seems like something so frivolous, you know, that, that someone could lose his life over, over, over an act like that. Yeah, I mean certainly even in today's times we hear of people losing their lives for for frivolous things. Um, interesting to see that it's reflected even there, two thousand years ago. Okay, so so this chapter, this this story, uh, Mark chapter six, starts and ends with the ministry of Jesus and his disciples and, and sandwiched in between stories of Jesus and his disciples' ministry um, is this account of, of John the Baptist's death. Um, and I think it's the account, really, of a weak king. Um, it's the account of a, of a king who allows himself to become manipulated and even outwitted um, by his own wife, um, this, this vengeful woman. And then we are introduced to him, this this king, in the, in the person of Herod. Now this person, Herod, um, Herod Antipas, was his formal name. the The Herods were a family who were who were known for their elaborate building projects. Um, the the Herods were a family, not Herods. Herods, um, they might here this evening, eh? Oh, <laughs> Um, so, so one of the things that they were involved with, I'm not sure if you know of the, of the, of the Masada buildings, the construction on top of a mountain. It was quite elaborate. The, the Herod family were involved there. Even, even the, the second temple complex, um, it was headed The Herod family were, were, were involved in constructing that. So, so if you went to Israel today, um, the Western Wall... Hered the Herod's family built that. That's there. The wailing wall, that's what's part of it. Um, um, the temple mount on the top, that plain that's there, Herod was responsible for that construction. Okay. So this guy, um, this guy, Herod, who's the host of this banquet, um, he comes from a very wealthy Jewish family. They were Jews. Um, and they were rulers and kings. And what happened in that time was that the Romans allowed certain kings to continue to rule the territories that they had as long as it served Roman interests. And um, Herod was one of those. So he had um, a province that he was overseeing because the Romans allowed him to continue to rule there um, as long as it served their interests. And this Herod was, was also the son of King Herod the Great, um, the one who ordered all of the sons under two to be killed when Jesus was born. You remember that from Matthew chapter 2? That Herod was his father. Um, so the name Herod in, in that culture gets passed on to the son, and um, all of the sons will have Herod in front of it. Um and then the Hebrews were also well known for their immorality. They were a family who were known for debauchery, for lies, for murder, for for treachery. And so this this king, this leader was, was a weak, I think, insensitive, debauched man who was also married to an Arab princess. Um, probably to cement a political alliance before he got married to to this woman. Um, So he left this Arab princess for this woman. Um, Apparently, this Herod, he he paid a visit to Rome, and while he was there, he was entertained by his half-brother, Herod Philip, Um, and while there, he he repaid his half-brother's hospitality by seducing and stealing his wife, um, Herodias. And along with this new wife came this daughter, who was probably a teenager. And um, Flavius Josephus, the historian, tells us in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, that her name was Salome. Um, and so because Herod was a Jew, He's married with, his marriage with this woman, Herodias, was not lawful according to Jewish law. And John the Baptist confronted him about this. Um, and the new wife, Herodias, she didn't like um, being told that she was wrong. She was not about that life. And, um, and so she wanted John the Baptist out of the picture. So that was her motivation um, behind this um, and so as we know Herod had imprisoned John despite as Mark says um, Herod feared John but enjoyed listening to him. So John, John the Baptist, appears to have obviously been a man of sincerity um, and goodness um, but apparently Herod was trying to protect John from Herodias by having him imprisoned, um, apparently in a prison that was further north and away from, from where they were. So, so that is the backstory of, of this banquet. Um, and then we read about the banquet that um, Herod Antipas, the, the ruler of Galilee, held to celebrate his birthday. Um, and this is a, a painting that was done to depict that. An artist's impression of what it could have looked like. And at this banquet, he invited the court officials, um, the military commanders, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Now, in that time, most banquets were held in in the evening after the day's work. But it seems that this one, there was something different about this one. And this one, in all probability, was one that carried on for possibly even a few days. Um, and usually at this banquet, um, only men were invited. If there were women, the women were there to serve the men, um, if there weren't any servants present. And the host, he he, um, would have sent out invitations in that fashion, and they would have made elaborate preparations for the guests at this banquet. And, um, and those who came, as you can see in that picture there, they reclined on these cushions, um, as we spoke about earlier on in the series, in, on these seats, and they lay at, at kind of at right angles to the table that was decked with food. You would have had lavish foods there, like beef and lamb, meats were things that weren't regularly eaten by people. You would have obviously had fish, bread, olives various range of vegetables, cheese, honey, dates, figs, all of the nice things of that day. And he would probably also have imported some delicacies to to please his guests and to win favor. And then, of course, wine was very important um, at these banquets. And often they drank so much That there was sometimes called uh, a house of drinking, in in the Hebrew called like a a a banqueting house, because it would go on for so long, and then people would refer to it as as that. Um, In in song, in the Book of Songs of Solomon, in in chapter two, there it it also refers to those kinds of gatherings as drinkings. Um, So, so this was quite an elaborate affair. And as we learn from the text there, among the guests was Herodias, this um, wife of Herod's brother, um, Philip, whom Herod had taken as his own wife now. She has this daughter who then dances for Herod and his guests, and she pleased them so much that Herod promises to give her anything that she wanted. Now, I don't think the kind of dance was the kind of dance that um Nina and Sarah led us in this morning across the way. it was that was really cool. I don't think it was that kind of dance now if you if you can imagine that only men were invited to these kinds of gatherings, you can imagine what kind of dance it must have been that would have pleased these men to the extent that Herod would have offered her something as substantial as what he did. Um, And then as we see there, the daughter, prompted by her mother, um, who still had it in for John, then asked for the head of John on a platter. And Herod, who had arrested John for criticizing his marriage to this woman, um, he was distressed, no doubt, but he didn't want to break his promise in front of his guests, as Mike pointed out there, Um, he had to keep face in front of all of these important people. And then he orders um, John to be beheaded, and his head is brought on this platter, um, and the girl gives it to her mother. What a story. Now, as we reflect on hope, where do you think we see hope at this banquet? And what would you say the hope is based on? What would you say um, the hope is placed in, if there is even any hope? What do you think? (laughs) Was that Mike? (laughs) Mike says there's no hope. (laughs) Any other thoughts? What What do you think Herod was hoping for? What was he hoping in? It's another way, another perspective. Sarah says for the people there to be pleased and entertained. That's what he was hoping for. And what about Herodias, the woman? What do you think he was hoping for? If anything? Andrea says, revenge, (laughs) served up on a platter. (laughs) Yeah, I I think Herod is hoping in his wealth. He's hoping for status. Um, He's he's resting in his privilege. Um, And I think he's, he's hoping for things related to that in his mind, those were the things he was hoping for. And, and the wife probably in her mind was hoping that um, climbing the social ladder would bring her more esteem, would bring her more success as a woman and how she would be seen in the, in the community. And hoping that John's death would take away the guilt that she must have been feeling. So in their minds, I think that was what they were thinking. That was the the hope that they were resting on. But I think, as, as Mike indicated earlier on, the banquet illustrates the hopelessness that comes from living a life that is centered on power, on pleasure, and on selfish desires. Herod, and in all probability his guests as well, were so focused on their own enjoyment and their own pleasure, their own desires, that they did not care about the injustice and the cruelty that they were participating in. They seemed to have been blinded by their own greed and lust, and they couldn't see the harm that they were causing to others. I think that's what, if you consider just the actions within this banquet, I think that's what we see there. And I think what we see at this banquet is an example of the kind of hope that the world offers. This is what worldly hope looks like. The hope that the world offers ends here. That kind of hope doesn't take you beyond your life. It ends here. And I think the kind of hope that we see here is actually more wishful thinking than real hope. And its strength, the strength of the hope of these people at this banquet is the strength of the person's own desire. So the hope they are placing in is found in themselves rather than in someone else. But I think anyone who hopes in the Lord has a different kind of hope to the kind of hope that we see reflected here, this fake hope. I think godly hope encourages followers of Jesus to change their perspective. In the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in God's faithfulness rather than in our own strength. Someone who believes that um, what this world has to offer is as good as it gets will live differently from the person who believes that he or she has a forever future that is full of abundance and joy. I think hope has a way Of getting us through whatever we are facing. Hope, I think, for a lot of people, even in today's times, is all that people have to hold on. And strangely enough, the kind of hope that God offers us is enough to carry us through. Now, as followers of Jesus, we can live looking through the lens of eternity future. For us, this is not all that there is. We look beyond this. That is the kind of vision that we have that is given to us through faith in Jesus. And so, for us, instead of seeking after fame, after wealth, after sexual fulfillment, after enlightenment, or any other source of personal pleasure that must be enjoyed at the moment, Followers of Jesus recognize that even the most beautiful of our experiences pale in comparison to what the Lord has in store for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says to us, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. There's so much hope in that. We haven't even seen it yet. We haven't even heard of this yet. Our minds cannot even conceive yet the things that God has prepared for us that we can hope in now. So Jesus offers for us a different kind of banquet a kind of banquet that brings hope and fulfillment to those who accept it. And now we're going to look at the, the other banquet that Scripture um, presents to us. And we're going to find it in Isaiah chapter 25 um, from verses 6 to 9. And here we read again about a banquet. Um, and this was written about 530 years, even before the time of Jesus. Now, I need someone to read that for me, please. Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 9. It's not as long as what Micah had to read.
1: In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, um, in that day, the, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings.
0: Thank you, Sira. So this is a a vision, um, a prophetic vision that um, the prophet Isaiah has. And he imagines in this vision um, this banquet, this feast, this meal that happens. On, on Mount Sinai in eschatological terms. And in Isaiah's vision on this mountain, on Mount Zion, he says God will perform the final act of this promise that fills us with hope today. And it's interesting when I, when I read this to see how Isaiah describes our hopes for full and complete Salvation in the future, in terms of food. You see, our, our fullness of joy is described here as us having this meal, this banquet, with the very best rich foods and the very best aged wines. Now, unlike today, Um, Rich food back in those times was not an everyday staple in that time and place. People ate very simply. And most people could enjoy meat only occasionally. Typically in those times, in the time of Isaiah, and even into the time of of Jesus, people would eat a, a light meal at midday, They wouldn't even have breakfast, and then they'd have their male meal, the larger meal, at the end of the workday. And for them, bread was a staple food. Vegetables are, are also forming part of their diet. It's mentioned occasionally in the Old Testament. And we know that people ate olives and they enjoyed grapes. They would make raisins as well, and wine made from grapes. But, but but what Isaiah is describing here, rich food filled with marrow and well-aged wines, strained clear, would be something that for anyone who read it in those times, it would be a very rare and prized meal. This would be only on the most special of occasions. And then it says there, the Lord of hosts will bring an end to death, and he will wipe away tears from all our faces. We, as it is described there, we will have the very best foods, but Yahweh, what he will eat is death itself. He will swallow up, as it, as it is described there, he will swallow up death. All illness will be removed. Financial problems gone. Natural disasters the kind that we are seeing in the world right now forgotten. Frustrations completely dealt with. Relationships that have gone wrong dealt with. Anything that go that has that that is Broken, that is deformed, um, has become dealt with in this vision that Isaiah has. And it seems like the list is endless. He says, But the Lord will wipe away all these tears at this mountaintop banquet. The Lord of hosts will make a great feast on Mount Zion not just for Israel, but for all peoples, in verse 6 there, and he'll destroy death, he'll wipe away tears, and he'll remove the the disgrace that sin has brought on all of God's creation. Now I think this banquet that gets described for us here is a metaphor for the abundance of love and grace that God offers to us. It is to us a reminder that God's love is unconditional and that we are all invited to partake of it. No matter how unworthy we may feel, no matter how much we may feel that we have messed up in the past, God's love is always available to us. All that we need to do is to accept this invitation that gets sent out to attend the banquet and to allow ourselves to be transformed in the relationship that follows on. In closing, as we reflect on these two banquets, I think now we are reminded that we have choices to make. We can choose to live a life that is focused on power, on pleasure, selfish desire like Herod and his guests, Or we can choose to accept God's invitation to his banquet, a banquet of hope, a banquet of fulfillment, like Isaiah describes there for us, and the one that Jesus invites us all to. I am very excited about that banquet. Um, I, I don't know what to expect when I think about that banquet. There's an artist's impression of what it could look like um, on Mount Sinai. I think you got the shape of Mount Sinai, right? But we have, we have no idea what it could look like. We have no idea what it's going to sound like when all of those different nations are there. Our minds cannot conceive yet the kind of hope that exists Within the promise that God brings to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you present us with choices. We thank you, Lord, that in the choices that you present to us, there is a choice for hope in a world that presents to us hopelessness. We thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus came and Jesus took upon himself the price that needed to be paid for us to experience relationship with you again. And so, Lord, as we continue to think about um, just this amazing hope that exists within you, we ask, Lord, that you would come and bring about that change within us, a change that would help us to reflect again Um, on hope and hopelessness. A change that would help us to reflect on the mission that you have prepared for us. And the idea that the little that we are able to bring, you are able to transform into much. We thank you, Lord, that you continue your work in our hearts, that you continue to mold us, to shape us into Christ evermore and evermore, because we eagerly desire to have your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.